Welcome to the Talk and Chatter Experience powered by Gasoline Alley, Harley-Davidson. Today's guest is business owner, family man, and someone that I'm, uh, yeah, very lucky to call a mate, Ferg. Welcome, mate. Uh, thanks for having me uh, on Talk and Chatter. Uh, Mick, it's something that I never thought would uh, would ever happen, but uh, yeah, here we are. Yeah, here we are, and uh, I'll get you to pull that microphone just a little, a little closer, a little closer, and uh, should be sweet. There we go. Who's Who's Fergus Bell? Who's Fergus Bell? Um, I think you probably heard me say it over yeah. the journey. Um, I describe myself as just a little old man from the southeastern uh, suburbs of Melbourne. Yep. Um, which is pretty true. Um, but uh, who is Fergus Bell? Proud father of three, uh, three quite independent and pig-headed young adult <laughs> children. Uh, I'm not sure where they get that from. <laughs> um, proud business partner um, yep. with Rob Kay here at uh, at Gasoline Alley, um, and just an absolute tragic motorcyclist and tragic AFL fan. Yeah, right. It's quite a quite a bit of a diverse. Um Diverse field of uh, sports you like, isn't it? Yeah, I look predominantly sporting-wise AFL, yep. uh, which is um, not so huge up here in Queensland. But you know, as I say, I'm from uh, from Victoria. Yep. Lived in Victoria for I guess 38 of my 53 years on the planet. Um, so you know, mad AFL fan, mad motorcycle fan. Um, uh, you know whether it's riding them or or MotoGP as an example. This year yeah. was just insane. Um, you know, uh, yeah, just pretty passionate about those sort of sports, I guess. Yeah, it's and it's a it's a bit of a cross, isn't it? Like not many people, not not many people, but usual ball sport fans don't traditionally like motorsport. Yeah, true. It, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, it's uh, motorsport. You know, if it doesn't have an engine, yep. Zero interest yep. uh, in in the in the ball sports and especially up here, you know. I have a, a, quite a few uh, buddies uh, who call it gay FL, not AFL, uh, <laughs> because they prefer uh, you know the um, not there's anything wrong with that. They prefer the uh, the rugby or the union or as they yep. call it. So which I've tried to get into and tried to tried to watch since I've been up here, but. It's something I, I, I definitely struggle with. but Just yeah. too fast a game? Oh, yeah. <laughs> too skillful. <laughs> <laughs> no, look, it's just a totally different yeah. totally different game. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I certainly, uh, as I say, tried to get into it, but can't do it, no. So why motorcycles? That's uh, Look, that's a good question, Mick. Um, always, since I can remember... Um, as a very, very, very young guy, always wanted a motorbike. Yep. Um, my father never had bikes, um, but his father rode motorbikes in Scotland. He had a sidecar uh, and a few other bikes, but the only pictures that I've got is of his sidecar. So he's pretty, pretty staunch to be riding a motorbike in Scotland way back in the 30s. Um, yeah. Uh, and yeah, look, I always wanted a motorbike. As a um, as a young fellow, and was always told, you know, when you can afford to buy your own bike, you can get one. Uh, and I think that might be where my drive to work came from, because I just, if that was the rules, no dramas. I, I did everything I could to earn money, saved up enough money to buy one, and then the rules changed. Um, 
because my father was a hard-working guy. He worked six days a week and, and mum said, well, no, when you can uh, when you can get yourself to and from where you're going to ride the bike, then you can buy one. So the rules changed. And then so I didn't get my first bike until I was 16 and at that stage had some mates with car licences and stuff like that so we could get around, get up into the state forest and, and ride the bikes, yeah. And what was that first one? First bike, um, as I say, because I'd been saving for such a long time to buy a bike, I was fortunate enough to buy a brand-new bike, but I bought a... Uh, a brand new Honda XR250RE 1984 um, and I owned that for I think about four years um, so got that when I was 15 16 um, in my first year of my uh, of my apprenticeship managed to get that and just that was also I think where my uh, you know and I'll deny saying this, but I'll still say it, where my love of Honda came from as well. I, I, yeah. I'm, a, I'm a bit of a tragic Honda fan as well as a obviously a mad Harley fan, but I'm yeah. a tragic Honda fan as well, yeah. And that's the red with the yellow guard. Yes, Honda. yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was um, disc brake front, drum brake rear. They yeah. had a reputation for not being that reliable. Four valve cylinder head, they had a reputation for uh, cracking the cylinder head around the spark plug to exhaust port area. But, you know, like anything, if you maintained it well. I did. I rode. The first day I got my motorbike licence, you get your motorbike licence at 16 and nine months in Victoria. Um, the first day I obviously rode it into work um, along the tram lines and all that sort of fun, good stuff. Uh, and then the first weekend that I had my motorbike licence, straight up through, anybody that knows Victoria would have heard of the Blackspur yep. uh, up towards Marysville area. Yeah, first weekend I got my licence on this XR250 with the knobbies up through the Blackspur, just, you know. And that was it. Corners, yep. corners, and motorbikes. That was it from there. No. It sold. Yeah, sold. <laughs> <laughs> and it's been, it's been the story of my life uh, ever since. To be honest, yeah. So yeah. sixteen, fifty three now. So you've put what's that? Um, Thirty seven years into motorcycle industry. Thirty seven years. Been working uh, on Automate. and in the bike industry. Yep. Um, yes, I did my apprenticeship like a lot of guys my yep. age, my vintage. You know, you. Uh, it was first to get out of school was the winner sort of thing, and uh, <laughs> parents were uh, uh, parents were quite strict as you know it's changed a little bit to to nowadays. Um, and the rule was if you get a uh, if you can get a job and a good job and a, a trade, you can leave school. So um, got myself an apprenticeship. Uh, there was no such thing as motorbike apprentices or then, so it was just called mainstream. Um, got myself an apprenticeship. Uh, did my uh, did my time there working on everything from motorbikes to cars, snowmobiles, generators, trucks. It was a large government workshop that I uh, did my apprenticeship at, where there was about thirty five qualified mechanics and an intake of four new apprentices every year. So it was it was yeah. before rock health and safety and anti bullying and all that sort of stuff too. So you can imagine you know <laughs> what we had to put up with there. Um, so yeah, did my apprenticeship there and then. When I left, when I'd finished my apprenticeship, I decided, yeah, no, the bike industry was for me. I was a little bit too large to be crawling yep. under dashes and doing heater cores in cars and all that sort of <laughs> stuff. So, uh, yeah, been in the bike industry ever since, yeah. Wow. So where was the first bike shop then? First bike shop that I worked at, um, so in Victoria, in Metro Victoria, strangely enough, the first bike shop I, I, I worked at was a place called Nova Honda. Um the gentleman, Vince, um, had two Honda dealerships, one in Ringwood and one in Box Hill. Yep. The one in Box Hill was just down the road from a shop, uh, which a lot of guys will recognise the name, Mick Hone Motorcycles. Yep. So he, um, the first uh, the first place I worked was 
Nova Honda in, in Box Hill. Worked there for um, oh, just under a year or so. Um, and uh, the strange part about that or the, the connection there was I ended up working for the the dealer principal that sold me my first bike. So I worked for oh. a gentleman named Chris who'd sold me my XR and uh, so ended up working with him and his, his buddy. So they were tragic Harley guys as well. So that sort of put a bit of a, a you know, a Harley theme into my life from a, from early wow. from early age as well, you know. Impre- impressionable age too, so you're probably 20 at the time. Oh, yeah, and these big, brave, tough, bloody Harley riders. I'm going, you know, they growl <laughs> at me. I'm like, oh, okay. But, you know, that's way back when. It was good. Look, one of the guys there, a guy named Derek, he um, he worked there with with Chris, and he had a uh, an FLH that he uh, that he rode to work every day. Yep. And he had his pit bull or his bull terrier on the tank, had the lambskin and the, and the dog on the tank, and yeah. every day. So that was fun. Um, you know, yeah, good, good place to work, good place to learn. What was the industry like at that time? Or what was the scene like? What was motorcycling like? That was '88, I'm guessing '89. Yeah. So. Um, it was a lot less, a lot less professional. But you're still, oh, it's hard. It's hard. It's um, it was very enjoyable. Yep. Everybody was mad bike riders. Everybody rode. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of the guys raced. Um, you know, I worked with a guy uh, there who used to do the frame straightening, and he sent the other. Gentleman by the name of uh, Barry Ditchburn, who was Barry Sheen's brother-in-law, and so he worked there. And oh. uh, the other guy who I worked with, the head mechanic, you know, an A-grade road racer that used to race a, uh, I think an XS 1.1 Razorback, I think they used to call him way back when. And so there was all these guys that yep. rode and raced bikes, and they're just just tragic bike guys, you know. But it was, you say, a lot less professional, and it's probably not the right way to describe it. Still a mad focus on customers and making sure that everyone's yep. bike because everybody got it that you know if you're bringing the bike into the workshop, you know imagine your bike being in the workshop mm. and so yeah lots of uh, yeah very passionate industry um, and it still is today to be honest yep. but you don't you know you don't work in the bike industry if you're not into bikes I don't think you know no. well, you shouldn't no no so. <laughs> <laughs> you know so but look we you know it was a lot of fun. Um, yeah, I, I think, you know, the, it's obviously changed a lot now. Everybody's Google experts. Before they walk through the door, they they know yep. the an- they believe they know the answer yep. to the question that they're going to ask you because they've researched it and stuff like that. So a lot different because, you know, the, the, the staff on the floor were, were genuine, knowledgeable. Yeah. You know, and that was the only sort of source of this knowledge was motorbike magazines or or speaking to the people that worked in the, in the, in the game. So it's a lot... Yeah, different but the same. It's yep. hard, to, hard to sort of describe, I think. It just yeah. gradually evolves and yeah. just rolls, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. So when you come home at 16, nine months with your XR, what did the family say? I loved it. Yeah, yeah they, they were Yeah, on. yeah, they were, yeah. They, were, they were all about it. Um, yeah. You know, um, my, my father encouraged me to get into motorbikes. Yep. He, you know, he would buy me way back when, he would buy me Two Wheels magazine. Yeah. Um, you Which, know, he, although he didn't have bikes, he was a bike tragic as well yep. in, in Scotland. Um Speedway, which is quite tropical, wow. topical, I guess, with us at the moment. Yep. Um, hill climb was a big thing. I've got lots of black and white photos of uh, him at the hill climb in Scotland and stuff wow. like that, sort of watching watching that stuff. So he was a tragic bike guy, but just 
was never in the financial position to to get into bikes. He, um, you know, my mother and father uh, came to Australia for a holiday to visit my mum's friends and uh, decided to stay. So they literally came over from Scotland with, uh, you know, with their suitcases, decided to stay, had their family and stayed in Australia, which I used to thank them uh, on a regular basis (laughs) for because... You know, I just imagine how grumpy and crossed up I'd be if I was brought up in Scotland and not out here in the sunshine of Australia. You know, so um, you know, but yeah, look, it's um, so they, yeah, you know, they weren't. There wasn't a lot of cash around or anything like that, so he never had bikes. But you know, he's a tragic, yep, tragic motorcycle fan. Yeah, and that's um. Do you think it's got more uh, not achievable, but more easier for people to get a motorcycle nowadays? Um, look, I, I think so. Yeah, yeah, look, I think with. I guess the amount of bikes that are made nowadays as well. Yeah. Like, you know, the manufacturing has obviously clearly ramped up. Yep. Um, obviously financing mm. the bikes. Um, yeah, look, it's – look, I mean, you know, we, we both know people that from all walks of life, whether they're, you know, CEOs of multinationals or, you know, um, you know part-time workers who, who are riding bikes and getting into it. So, yeah, I think it's, I think it's easier – to get into the bikes, but it still takes that. You've got to want it, don't you? You don't, you know, if someone says to me, oh, Joe, I've been thinking about getting into bikes. Oh, yeah, you know. Yeah. If you've been thinking about it and you really want to do it, do it. But if you're just doing it because your buddies are doing it, that's, it's not, you know, it's not the, it's yeah. not the hobby, you know. It can, it can bite you, you know. <laughs> it's not going out nightclubbing. No, that's just right. Just because your mates are doing it doesn't mean you should do it. <laughs> that's right, so, yeah, that's it. But, uh, okay, so the XR... Uh, through apprenticeship and that. What was after that? Um, yeah, so uh, the XR, uh, my best mate at the time who I was still best mates with now, he, he had a, I had the XR and he had a DR250. So that was before they put a Z on the end of it. It was a DR250, little single cam t- 250. Yep. Tin tank. Um, and we rode everywhere. You know, we would we'd ride down to Phillip Island. He had a, a caravan down there. You know, you just uh, we'd ride up through the hills Ride to and from work. He worked near me, so um, and you ride him on the street all the time. On the street, yeah, yeah. yeah just you know, um, just it's what it's what we did. Yeah. Um, my first road bike was uh, an RD250 LC, um, which a weapon of a bike. Loved it. <laughs> Absolutely loved it. Wished I could have been able to afford a 350, but yep. um, you know, uh, had that 250, which was a weapon. He he. Um, he got out of that DRZ, had a Katana, a Bathurst, um, so a Katana 1000, spoke wheeled version, had that for a little while. Then he got in a Harley and so he had the Harley and I had the RD250 LC and, you know, we were just, you know, you couldn't get any more diverse bikes but yep. we were just roaring around everywhere together, you know, and uh, and having some laughs. Um, and that, you know, I, I really wanted a Harley at that stage but that – you know, the RD250, I'd smoke him up through the hills and through the corners and stuff like that. And I'm just going, oh, I reckon I want fast bikes. So I got out of that. Uh, the next bike from there was as a mechanic, you know, um, you know, you, you didn't get paid squeams at all. Back in those days, you were paid, um, um, you were paid award wages as well. It's not, you know, you, you it was, this is how much the government says I need to pay you, mate. This is what you're going to get paid as a mechanic. You know, you can work overtime to earn more money. Or literally do what I did, which is just buy and sell bikes. So I bought a basket case, um, 
CB900, built that up, then bought another basket case, CB1100 off the local Snap-on rep, he had a basket case, CB1100, and so I had, I reckon, maybe four CB900s or CB1100s after that and just road bikes and just, you know, buy and sell, buy and sell, you know. It's a term you don't hear too much anymore, basket case. Yeah. Like, is it really? It's a... Uh... What do you mean? It's not a modern term, mate. I'm a very modern man. You know? <laughs> I haven't heard of the cafes. <laughs> I'll have an avocado <laughs> slice in a basket in case. In a basket case. <laughs> so, but yeah, next year, what's the name? Jar, whatever they call it. <laughs> but no, it's not, is it? Like, um, to have a basket case. Yeah, I guess. Bike, yeah, I guess. Um, it's probably not a term that we hear a lot. Yeah. 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 It was way back when, too, when you used to be able to buy cars or bikes that had been written off and you could rebuild them and you know and sell them on etc cetera, etc cetera. of course that doesn't happen now with you know stat write-offs and all that sort of business mm. and the register and stuff like that but you know uh, it was way back when that um and that's that's just how you know me and my buddies made made ends meet you know that's right you know you know you buy and sell bikes and um cars as well and and just you know upgrade 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 and i mean that money just went straight back into the usual another motorbike or another <laughs> car or more beer um you know. company all you're building, <laughs> the 1100 <laughs> what's the um do you remember what an apprenticeship excuse me an apprenticeship wage was then <clears throat> yeah so when i started my apprenticeship it was i'm i'm pretty confident and i would say i was getting 83 dollars a week i think from memory um it's good coin, you know, yeah. and, um, um, you know, um, my oldest son, strangely enough, just just uh, went to um, full-time permanent employment. He's, he's, he, you know, he was on a, a casual employment, but he's just been made full-time yeah. permanent with the company he's been with. And he told me, you know, his package and, and I've just gone, holy hell, I think I was about 37 before I was earning that sort of coin, you know. So, um, yeah, times have changed a yeah. little bit. And everyone will tell you, yeah, cost of living's gone up and everything like that. But, um, you know, look, as, as I say, as an apprentice, as a 16-year-old kid living yeah. at home, you know, and, you, and a quarter of your wages went to board, yep. you know, so you were... You know, you were down down to, shoot, down to <laughs> 60. Lucky I didn't drink or do anything, you know, expensive apart from motorbikes, you know. Because I remember, yeah, mine was four sixty three an hour, yeah. but late nineties. That yeah. was the apprenticeship wage first yeah, okay. year. And it was like four bucks an hour. So. Yeah, yeah, mate. You'd take any any hour of overtime you could get. Everything. Wouldn't you? Yep. Absolutely. Saturday mornings, please. Can I do it? You know, parts, build this, whatever. You yeah. Know, like you said. So, yeah. so how long were you in that shop for after after you came there? I was only um, with Nova Honda for about a year. Yep. My parents had. Um, um, Moved up to rural Victoria, mm-hmm. um, a place called Buxton, which is up near Lake Eildon. Anyone sort of knows that area. Um, on the other side of that Black Spur Road that we spoke about before, Reefton Spur, all that sort of stuff. Good place to visit. Great spot to visit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, that was our local racetrack. Um, so they'd moved up there, little uh, five-acre lot, and my father was an upholsterer by trade, so he was semi-retirement and... You know, um, moved on to the onto the five acres and doing some upholstery and whatnot. Um, I was living in Melbourne, renting, yeah. and thought, oh, this is this is a you know, this is a mugs game. I'm not getting ahead here, so thought I'd move back with the folks, which is about an hour and a half out of Melbourne, and worked at a uh, a rural 
motorcycle shop in uh, in a town called Alexandra. So that bike shop was a Yamaha and Honda dealer. It was also a steel dealer, Briggs and Stratton. Yeah. Uh, electric fences, wood-fired heaters. Um, yeah, everything. Typical country, rural yep. dealer, big tin shed. You know, very cold part of Victoria. Tin shed, um, oil heater, which heated the the shed. So you know, the, the, all the sump oil that we you'd burn that in this uh, oil heater, which sounds terrible for the environment, but it was you know a triple burner, German made thing, this that and the other. It was yep. clean and all this sort of business. But so I spent a couple of years there working on chainsaws and four wheel motorbikes that were covered in cow and pig crap, and um, <laughs> you know. Installing wood-fired wood heaters, um, you name it, you know. But to be honest, it was the best thing that I did because I, you know, I learned more about being a mechanic and more about diagnosing there mm. than I had done elsewhere. Because you know, as an apprentice in the large um, government workshop, I was, you know, I was handy at rebuilding gearboxes. You know, I could rebuild a you know gearbox with my eyes shut. And I could rebuild a front end that had been, you know, destroyed up a up a gutter. I could service the motorbikes, you know, do yeah. all that type of stuff. But there was not a lot of diagnosis work or anything like that, working in the in the rural small mm. um, dealership was good, you know, got to got to really, you know, learn a lot about diagnosing and stuff like that. So enjoyed my time up there. Um, but like uh, most young, young fellas in their early 20s at that stage, you know, it was yeah, it was great, but Melbourne was calling, so gravitate yeah, back. Yeah, there. yeah, moved back down to moved back down to the big smoke. Yeah. Did you do any work with Mick Hone? No, Never? no. I used to wander up to his shop. So I mentioned before, my buddy Steve. We were bike tragics, you know, absolute tragics. And is that Steve you talk of currently? Like still? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. So yep. I've known him since I was four. We've been buddies. Yep. You know, went to the same. Kinder, I guess you call it. Steve, it's going to sell me his ZX10. Steve, it's going to sell you yeah. his ZX10. I just bought his Harley, actually. I oh, just, did? or one of his Harleys. He's he's got a shovel that he's rebuilding. But I, we sold him a um, uh, 2000 Wide Glide, maybe four or five years ago, yep. and I uh, just bought that back off him uh, this week. I'll be able to get shipped at the same time. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I actually mentioned to him again yep. when I was talking to him. I said, you know, Mick really wants that bloody ZX10. He goes, oh, they're sought after. <laughs> Said, mate, you can't gouge him too much. You know, we do a bit of work with Mick. You can't gouge him. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he's. Um, uh, we were bike tragic. So when we were kids, before having licenses and stuff like that, we would jump on the buses, jump on the trains, and way back when, Elizabeth Street was Melbourne's bike yep. mecca. So we would go in there at least once a month on a Saturday morning, just you know, walk up and down the street, look at the motorbikes, and. There's kids. Yeah, 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 and then Mick Hone was the same thing because you go in there and there's always race bikes, to, mm. you know, and you just sort of walk in and don't touch any of the boys. No, we won't, we won't, you know. Yeah. But um, so it was a shop that we frequented a lot, um, but no, I never did, never worked with uh, with Mick Hone. No. What was Melbourne like in that time? Fun, fun place. Yeah, fun place. Um, it, was, it was a lot, you know. Before the fun police, which are out now, before <laughs> speed cameras, um, oh, no. not as many people. Um, before mobile uh, breathalysers, uh, all that sort of stuff. Um, <laughs> before everything. <laughs> before everything. Before mobile phone cameras. Before CCTV cameras on every street corner. When you, yeah, literally, it was fun. You could, you know, it, it, it was a lot of fun, and it was. Ah. Oh, Look, you know, it was very relaxed. It was. I mean, if you think about it now, I mean, um, 
you know, everybody's just looking after themselves. It was just, it was more relaxed. It was more country townish, I guess you could mm. say, you know. It was bloody sound old, don't I? There's a horse and cart wandering <laughs> past, you know. But, but it was, it was a lot yeah. more relaxed. You could just, you know, um, you know, the main street, Elizabeth Street, where all the bike shops were and stuff like yeah. that. You, you're on there on a Saturday morning, this guy's just doing bloody wheelies and burnouts and stuff as they're leaving. Not not constantly, but you'd see it, you yeah. know. Um, whereas, you know, nowadays it's, yeah, a bit different, isn't it, you know. And and probably at that time it wasn't frowned upon. No, it was because it wasn't as busy. Yep. It wasn't that big a deal. You know, yeah. nobody had the video footage, I suppose, so they couldn't shame you on social media or anything like that, could they, you know? The, There's no iPhone journalists. That's right. <laughs> the the, the do-gooders couldn't say, oh, that's naughty, you know? Yeah. Wow, yeah, it would, have been a, it would have been a pretty crazy time. Yeah, it's, um, look, and around that time too, you know, talking before obviously about uh, motorsport and all that sort of stuff, you know, MotoGPs, uh, I think we spoke. Yep. Uh, that Wayne Gardner uh, movie was on two weeks ago or whenever, you know, we were at that race event, you know, and we would go to every every one of those and they were just cows was it was a genuine party, you know, and those, you know, Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night and Sunday night and, you know, talk about relaxed and what what everybody was doing, you know, like mm. I saw some of the best wheelies that you will ever see. It's just like the, the the sea of humans parting and guys just two up doing these walking pace, you know, wheelies up the main street of cows and wow. You know, everyone's just wandering around with their half a dozen beers, just having a good time. No dramas. No stress. There was never any dramas. You know, I had a um, 2000, I had a VTR 1000, I remember this. Um, and, you know, I pull up at the roundabout at the at the top of the main street and the cop just says, well, come on in, show us what that thing will do. Really? Go, what? what do you mean? He goes, come on, light it up. Oh, okay, sure, you know. And it was just relaxed, you know. Wow. This is in 2000? Uh, yeah, that was the... That was the VTR, yeah, 99 model VTR, yeah, 99, 2000, yeah. I had to walk around there now at a GP weekend and see it a ghost town and yeah. it's so different. Yeah. You just oh, just, that. Yeah, it was, um, yeah, it's different, you know, yeah. and now, as I say, we, you know, literally everyone was just walking around with a half a dozen beers and their pizzas yeah. and just bumping into everybody and having a chat and having a good time. Now it's, you know, there's drinking areas and everything, isn't there, you know, it's yeah. all, you go here, you do this, you do that, you know. Your cattle. Yeah, 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 yeah. We'll 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 tell you how to fun and where you're allowed to have it. You know, still still an awesome event, awesome place, everything like oh. that. But yeah, you go like even uh, I was there in '89 and '90, like mm -hmm. the same years. Obviously, yep. saying then I was a kid, but uh, even from I was a kid as well, Mick. Oh five, Just... <laughs> I was a little bit younger kid. <laughs> um, 04, 05, though, like I remember going there, riding there, and. Totally different to what it is now. Even even yeah. in that time, you know, it's uh, yeah, it's just yeah, there's no crowds energy. in the street. It's no. it's you know they no street party, no street party. They killed it. Yeah, look, and that was you know with being in the you know um, working in the bike industry, you know, pretty much my whole yep. my whole life. That was what that event was. You just literally. Had your beers and your pizza, sat down in the main street or went for a walk in the main street and just bumped into people that you yep. worked with or worked for or, you know, uh, you know, customers, et cetera, et cetera, people who you knew, you know, the GP riders and wandering down the main street yep. going into the restaurant and, you know, uh, and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's a pity that's changed, but you sort of, you know, progress, huh? Time rolls. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah, it does. It does. So you'd ride like an XR down there and down Yeah, there. so I had the XR then... 
Um, the RD. Um, we, yeah, where I lived in Melbourne, probably about an hour and a half uh, from the track. Yep. So we'd, we'd commute sometimes. We might not stay down there for the weekend sometimes. Mm-hmm. We'd go down in the morning, go home in the evening, you know. Um, yeah, look, just uh, we were just, you know, just tragics. Yeah. Absolute tragics. And I guess at that time too, working in a bike shop, Saturday morning still, you would have been had to work Saturday morning. Oh, uh, yeah, maybe not. <laughs> might have been able to convince them. Yeah, know, then. That, uh, yeah. I think a lot of the time, so obviously um, from Alexandra days, so that Honda and Yamaha dealership up in rural, uh, yep. left there after a couple of years, came back down to uh, Melbourne, you know, southeastern suburbs there, um, worked at a uh, Yamaha dealership for five years, a place called Clipstone Yamaha. Um, so that was that was owner-operated. You know, Rod Clipstone was an absolute champion boss, you know, yeah. champion guy. Um, and, you know, if, uh, you know, given the Saturday mornings and, and whatnot and, and being a full bike tragic, he knew that, yeah, okay, guys. Because uh, not everyone was into the MotoGP. Some of the guys were more into the dirt bikes or enduro yep. and stuff like that. So they'd work those weekends and those of us that were into the road racing would head down to Philip Island and watch that, you know. Because he was tra- a track day guy or road racer guy, was he? He, um, he was a, a very a, a very good businessman. Um, we, um, as a business, so before track days became a thing, as a business to help encourage because that was that was tough times um, we talk about recessions and stuff at the moment and you know mm. going through COVID and this set and the other bit so I'm trying to think of the years that I was there and it's I'm going to say early to mid 90s when you know um, mortgage rates were at 17 and 18 percent and all that sort of <laughs> business and it was it was it was tough times man it was um yeah, he would he do he would come up with ideas to encourage us to ride more and to get the customers to ride more because the more the customers are riding, the more they're spending. You know, um, so you know he he said, "Rodio, you guys go out and see if you can book Philip Island and do social track days." Wow. So we, um, you know, we 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 literally he would he he did that. You know, um, the guy who who I. Um, reported to there who was the head mechanic when I started was an XA grade road racer so he had all the connections and organised that and a privateer but you know uh, an A grader so mate, we did track days and yeah you got St John's ambulance so no you know you got St John's <laughs> you had to get um, volunteers so everybody you know vo- get a volunteer yeah. to be a flag marshal there was no flag marshal so you know, um, <laughs> the wild west of track. Days. Oh, it was a sensation. I got a photo uh, there, and I might have showed you. You know, I got the the Blundstone boots, the MCO jeans, and the um, the dry rider or the Bellstaff jacket, <laughs> and that's that's what we wore to do a track day at Phillip Island. One of the early. fastest tracks in the world. <laughs> oh, just insane, you know. Um, but so this is this is Rod's way of doing things. Yep. You know, he also you know another thing he did was you know. There was four of us there that were also into our dirt bikes and enduro bikes and stuff like that. 
but he, you know, we were spending all our money on the road bikes at the time, and he goes, all right, I'll give you 1500 bucks each, go out and buy a bike, but you've got to do one enduro, you've got to, each year you've got to organise one ride a month to go up into the hills and get every, get the customers out riding dirt bikes. And yeah, 1500 bucks might not sound like a lot, but yeah. I bought myself a, uh, an IT250, another guy was an IT200, uh, and so on and so and that's what we did we and then organized you know shop rides up through uh Talangi and, and all of that sort of stuff in victoria which was a lot of fun yeah so you stayed riding dirt bikes through a bit yeah i rode um i was into the dirt bikes i had um just you know just socially you know we go up into the hills and we say socially but Mate, it was sheep stations involved. Well, you there's know. a helmet on, isn't it? <laughs> That's right. You know, a helmet on and the smell of two-stroke, yeah, <laughs> it's going to be on. So yeah, the IT250, which was just one of my favourite all-time bikes that I've had, it was just a fantastic bike. Um, got rid of that and then had a uh, – because you needed to be registered to to ride mm. in the state forests in Victoria. So from there, um, I got a uh, CR250, which, which we'd got – Registered, you get them road registered. It was a little tricky, you used to rec register them and then go into Vic Roads. This is why, you know, as I say, it's way back, you know, and go in and go, I need to fully register this now. It needs to be full street reg. The rec reg, you know, isn't cutting. Oh, yeah, okay, no dramas. And so they hand you over the armor plate and you know, off you went, sort of thing, you know. So I had a registered CR250, which was a weapon, you know, that was a beast. Um, uh, yeah, that's look. I, not a lot of yep. enduro bikes as such, you know, had, you know, but we were, you know, we had those bikes for a while and certainly tested out the ego and stretched the throttle cables as much as we could, you know. I can't believe you're having a CR2. I know they made the CRM 250, yeah. the Jap import mm. one, but uh, having a CR2. Oh, this thing was a weapon, you know, weighted the flywheel, the barrel had been decked and, yep. you know, all the usual bits and pieces to, you know, try and give it a little bit of bottom end and not so much. Screamer. Yeah, just that killer, you know, band and, and so on. Yeah, suspension and yeah, long range tank and all that sort of business. It was a yeah, it was a good thing. Mm. A lot of, yeah, way too much bite for me. I mean, you know, <laughs> just way too much. But you know, I thought I was who, you know. At at that time, like look at looking at it now, do you and I do this quite a bit, like because years get pretty blended. Do you pick out bike models? Like I quite often think of okay, you're talking ninety two, ninety three, mm. fireblade. Oh yeah, there you go. Um, yeah. But that's how I sort of keep track of a year. Yes. Uh, yeah. 98, oh, that'll be that one year, yeah. you know, sort of thing like that. Yeah, I think <coughs> I don't – I'll probably do a similar thing. Yeah. Um, I'll probably – not so much with bikes and years and so on, but customers and bikes. Like I'm mm. terrible with customer names. But, you know, I can tell you, someone will come up to me and go, oh, you know, you used to be my mechanic and you used to work on this and that. I go, oh, yeah. Oh, that's right. You had the, you know, FJ twelve hundred, or you had the, <laughs> the the R one, or you had the, you know, um, whatever it might be. They go, yeah, that's right. I go, I'm sorry, man, I can't remember your name, but I do remember your bike and and whatnot. So I do. It's a similar thing, I think, but not so much with the years. There's too many years for me, Mick. You got a lot less years to be concerned <laughs> about, mate. You know, that's why I just call them model years. <laughs> what do you reckon of your first track day? Do you remember it? Your first track day, uh, yeah, I do remember. Yeah. Uh, and I actually rode, I wasn't quite as heavy as I am now um, back then. Um, I, 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 the Predominantly the bike that I rode was a TZR250. 
Very cool. Phillip Island. And um, a lot of fun. And I, you know, like everybody, you know, I thought I was Dick doing, you know, you know. Lap records. Oh, look at me go. <laughs> and my boss, I think I mentioned before that my, my boss at the time was an XA grade superbike rider and um, I, I also had CB1100s and he, he, you know, he helped me sort of work on those and do some suspension stuff and bits and pieces. But I didn't take that to the first track day that we did. I was, you know, more – was I didn't do a lot of riding at that first one. It was more sort of working and stuff. But I remember riding this TZR250 up over Lukey Heights and thinking I'm flying with my Blundstones and my Amco jeans and my, <laughs> <laughs> and my dry rider jacket. And Dave has just come around the outside of me. He had a uh, – uh, a YZF1000, so um, FZ750 type frame, the 1000 engine and this, that and the other, and it was a beast. And he's just come round the outside of me, knee on the deck, one hand flipping me the bird. That same as that Wayne Rainey picture, that, yep. you know, flipped. And he's come round and he's just flipping me the bird, coming over Lukey, you know, and I'm just going, what is this all about? Who does that? I thought, I was shattered, yeah. you know, absolutely shattered. I thought I was flying on this TZR250. I'm going to go back to work. That's right. <laughs> but look, certainly certainly got the bug. We also did, um, ran our own track days at Winton, so at the short track, so before, so I wouldn't know when that was changed, mm. but we were, it was still Clips on Yamaha days. Um and we ran our own track days up at Winton and they were lots of fun. There were some good riders amongst it and, you know, mm. um, as I say, a few of the guys were, were were ex-racers and so there was those guys and then there was the rest of us just street riders and stuff and I had that CB1100. Actually, um, um, I'd swap bikes with Steve. Steve had a G6R1100 at the time and he goes, go and swap bikes, I'll ride your CB and you ride the G6R. I said, oh, yeah, cool, yeah. I don't think I did half a dozen laps on his G6R1100. I thought, I can't afford to throw this thing away. Yeah. I'm pulling into the pits. I'm in the pits and I'm just standing here at pit wall and someone's pulled up and gone, Ferg's just crashed. I go, well, no, I haven't made I'm here. He goes, well, someone's just crashed your bike. <laughs> so my buddy had crashed my bike and this is like in the second session in the morning or something like that and he'd low-sided it and, of course, it's hit the dirt, gone up over the other side and yeah. carnage both sides, broke the handlebar. That was the end of the bike for the day and he comes back in and goes, oh, sorry about your bike, mate. Mine's still okay. I'm going to finish the day off. Yeah, yeah, mate, you'll be right <laughs> off you go, you know. It's two wheels so. in the front of me. <laughs> <laughs> and look, you can't, this is, you know, we say yeah. it now and you can't get out of shape if you if you lend anyone your bike. Um, mate, it can fall over. Don't yeah. don't get out of shape if the thing falls over. You lend it to a buddy and it, and it falls yeah. over, you know, because, you know, they do have an inherent design flaw. They've got two <laughs> wheels, you know, they're controlled by humans and humans aren't that fucking bright. No. They'll fall over, you know. So yeah, no, no use losing a friendship over nah, a motorcycle. No, nah, no, nah, not at all. And look, you know, as I say, um, I'd pulled in on his bike because I just thought, oh, I'm starting to go a little fast on yeah. this, and I can't afford to throw it away, you know. And he could obviously afford to throw away the Honda, and he did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're a good thing, the G6R back then, eh? Oh yeah, nice. They like the top. Yeah, yeah. I oh, think. great bike. Mm. Yeah, yeah, great bike. And look. I mean, the money you get for those things now, you know, yeah. those all of those bikes. It's the same as everybody. Everyone says the same thing, doesn't it? You know, yeah. I wish I'd never sold this or no, sold that or, or, or whatnot. But it was a, a lot of fun, good product. Yeah. Was your uh, CB1100, not 1100R? No, 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 no. no, no. It was an F. Yeah, no, no I'd made all wasn't in that league. I was a mechanic. I of remember. course, yeah. <laughs> Where to deal with it, so then. <laughs> but no, they are uh, um, worth a fortune now. Great, great bikes. And, and look, 
the the workshop at that time at Clipstone Yamaha, you know, as I say, with Dave, who was um, who was the workshop manager there, and his knowledge of you know building race bikes and stuff. Yep. You know, we ended up we were doing Wiseco big ball kits. We were yeah. we were building you know um, uh, you know G6R seven elevens. You know, we were we were putting the eleven hundred engines yep. into the seven fifties. Uh, we had, you know, customers that we were we were throwing. Uh, we had a customer that had two of the Wiserdef 750 SPs, mm. and they were flat slide this set and the other, and they were their street bikes. This this couple, and they had two of them, um, and we couldn't, you know, tune them properly for the street and this set and the other. And he goes, "I'll just put the thousand engine in, and that should get, you know, that'll that'll help me out the, with the bottom end." And you know, we're throwing thousand engines into these, you know, 750s. It was a lot of fun at that place. You know, we, you know, learning a lot, but. Messing around with some, you know, back in the day performance yep. bikes. Yeah. yeah. Did, did you ever ride one of those SP 750s? Yeah. Yeah. That was one of my favourite things to ride. Great bikes. Handle like a dream. Great bikes. You, you sit in them no, as just, well. You like. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And yeah. and you know the suspension and the brakes at the time, six piston calipers. Beautiful and, bike. You know, just uh, you know, I can remember at the time. You know when they were released, and it was you know, yeah, pretty special. Like the, another good bike that was released around that time was that TRX 850. Oh, yeah, Parallel Twin, yep. Great bike as well. Really? Yeah, good yeah. to ride. Great bike. Yeah, yeah, good track bike. You know, like needed a suspension work, but. Because they're pretty, um, pretty well priced too. Yes. Weren't they? They're a good yeah. value for money. Yeah. So those yeah. set, that F750s used to have a mad head rush. Yeah. I used to be, then all of a sudden just hit. And like, you know, bikes nowadays don't sort of have that. It's just this beautiful linear power. Yes, yeah. Like bikes then sort of thing hit 7,000. Yeah. And bang. It's, it's on. It's just an yeah, awesome feeling. Yeah, so. yeah. No, lots of fun. We, um, good time to be around it. You know, like mm. the technology that was coming through and, you know, what, um, you know, the performance, the handling. I think yep. the handling was the thing that, you know, you went from, as I say, the bikes that I grew up riding, which had, you know, licorice frames and plastic tyres and, <laughs> you know. Yeah. <laughs> to the bikes that, you know, started to come through with that, you know, uh, the, you know the handling, the tyres and the frames and stuff like that. It's Just, where we are now, oh, aren't they, really? Now is spectacular, mm. yeah, yeah. But it was that first evolution, 17-inch rims. That's right. Radial yeah. tyres. Yeah. Um, brakes, the brakes that actually brakes. That worked <laughs> yeah. for longer than three laps. Yeah, actual you know? brakes. Yeah, yeah. Unless my CB1100, got... I used to say that ABS, you do two laps and there's no way known, you'll get the thing to lock up, you know. <laughs> you have to just keep changing your gears, <laughs> back it in. So this would have got you a fair way through the 90s. Yeah, so I think um, hmm. yeah, you're right. Yeah, that was 90s. Um, and look, not a lot's changed really. It's, yep. you know... Um, I say to the kids now, I still don't know what I want to do when I grow up, so I'll just <laughs> continue to hang around this motorbike yep. shop and, until until I figure out wh where I want to go in life, you know. Uh, but 90s, so end of 90s, I ended up um, um, – I, I think so. I, I ended up sort of late 90s going to work for Honda Australia uh, – uh, MPE, yeah, and it's sort of you know I think uh, getting to uh, to so late late nineties is obviously or mid nineties, um, you know around that thirty age yep. bracket where you start to go, you know well this is fun but um, you know we were 
fucking buying. You know, I'd already had, I'd had a mortgage since I was 19, so I was used to that. Mm. Um, but, you know, okay, I need to sell that place and buy a family home and consider having kids and this, that and the other and, and become all sensible. So it was, well, you know. <laughs> Has it happened? <laughs> <laughs> I'm working on it. Depends who you ask. I, I believe I'm a very, very straightforward, very simple, very sensible yeah. man, Mick, but, yeah. you know. Others may uh, may question that. Um, but, you know, so it was like, well, what am I going to do? Because I can't I can't stay as a mechanic yep. forever. Um, not, not Especially back those days. I mean, a mechanic now, you can make a career out of it and you can, you know, you can earn mm. good coin and everything like that. But back then, mate, it was... You know, it was it was a slog. As I say, we were buying and selling bikes and cars, and it wasn't hard. I mean, we're buying and selling. We're getting ahead, and you know, had the ski boats and had the yep. always had the motorbikes. Always had the toys, but it wasn't just from your nine to five job that you got that stuff. You know, had to sort of, I guess, the common word at the moment is hustle. You know, yep. had to you know make deals and break hearts and use the trading post and, <laughs> which is a thing called a. a a newspaper guys and you know ah. not on none of this online stuff but you know look, we bought and sold stuff to to get ahead and i thought well you know i need to somehow what can i do you know what can i do and so i thought well if i go and work at one of the manufacturers that might lead to you know some further uh, opportunities mm. and so ended up going to um fortunate enough to somehow talk my way into a job at Honda Australia. I don't still don't know how I managed to do that, but and so that was in the technical department. So it was technical yep. support for um, motorbikes, power equipment, and marine at the time. And then ended up um, doing technical training for the, the Honda dealers at the time, working with race team mm-hmm. and, and you know helping out with the race teams and stuff like that. And so once again. You know, trying to trying to progress. Um, anyone that knows working for wholesale motorcycle manufacturers just still didn't work that well as far as the hip pocket was concerned. But it was yeah. a, a great experience yeah. and um, and lots of and lots of fun and got to you know uh, learn a lot, but also got to meet a lot of good people and learn a lot from those those guys. You know, this would have been around the time that Honda changed their outboards and everything. I'm so guessing. that was, yeah, so it was actually mid-90s. And now that I think about it, it was sort of mid-90s I ended up at Honda yeah. MPE. Um, so the four-stroke outboard would have been coming through. That's, that's exactly right. That was yeah. the time the four-stroke outboard. They they also had the um, four-stroke power equipment engine for the lawnmowers. Uh, yeah, right. They had the four-stroke brush cutter engine, which was 360. You could turn it around 360. And, what do you mean? Well, you could literally, it didn't have a sump. So ah. it was a four-stroke because, you know, two-stroke was on the way out. Um, well, so you could spin the whole. So the whole engine could spin and operate at any angle. It didn't have to stay in a certain position wow. for a sump or anything like that. So it had a little. I could talk you through the whole details of it, maybe. I thought <laughs> you were technical, hours, not, hours not the sales pitch. Hours <laughs> of entertainment. <laughs> I like that stuff actually. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that was there was a lot of advancement and stuff like that. Um, you know, in the in their full stroke yep. technology and stuff. So yeah, that would have been, as I say, that probably. Mid nineties because I was at Honda MP for about five years. I left there around two thousand or so. So yeah, so I would have been mid nineties, I guess not quite the thirty range, but yep. getting close to thirty and becoming all sensible about life and thinking about a future and stuff. You know. Wow. So yeah. who was the leader of uh, Honda at that time? Was it Stuart? Stuart Strickland. Strickland? Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stuart Strickland was um, was the managing director. 
really good guy. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, sort of. Um, and then I worked for a gentleman who was in the charge of the service department, a guy named Greg Snart, and uh, he was, you know, he was a great guy too. He's um, genuine individual. Um, but there was <laughs> lots of, um, lots of, lots of knowledge there. Um, um, lots of, you know, I worked with, with the technical training. There was a guy named Paul Gibson who was a really switched on, you know, guy with yep. the, with all the uh, technical stuff. Um, Andrew Johnson, AJ, he he was there. He was running the junior race team and all that sort of stuff at the wow. time. So, um, yeah, always good fun to catch up with him at the time and hear his stories of madness and riding motorcycles. Because he's you know, a bit of a character as well, eh? Oh, Absolute champion, you know? yeah, 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 absolute champion, and um, you know, loose, yeah, but really great guy. race bathers for motorcycle. Oh mate, hard of gold, you know, yeah. and 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 um, but yeah, it was it was at that era when you know you, you know you could be a bit loose. Mm. Yeah, yeah. What was it like going to a manufacturer? You come from another side of the fence to, to that side. Was it a? Did it feel like a good move at the start, or was it strange? Oh no, it was terrible. I had to wear a tie. Did you? Oh yeah, God. Um, you had to wear. Yeah, I mean, I'd come from Clipstone Yamaha, mate, the Yamaha dealership out in Ringwood, where yeah, you know, stubby shorts, blue singlets, and <laughs> let's get amongst it. Um, to having to go to a manufacturer where literally, yeah, you had to wear a tie. I had to, another good mate of mine, Bundy. I had to ring him and go, mate, you got to come over. He goes, what's wrong? I said, well, I got a new job. He said, oh, yeah, what's going on? I said, I'm working on Honda. Yeah. yeah. What's the deal? I said, well, I don't know how to do a tie, mate. You went to a private school. You know how to do a tie. Yeah. Come and give us a hand, you know. So <laughs> I had no idea. So I think I had two or three ties and uh, got him to put them over my head and tie them and hang them up in the cupboard and hope that, hope that it was. <laughs> um, but we managed to change those rules um, yeah. in not too, not, not too long a time. I managed to change that because – you know, in the workshop and working on stuff, I'm going, this is not acceptable, guys. So managed to change it so that uh, you could sort of wear Honda polos or something yep. like that. Did you pull the dangerous thing, like looking at the yeah, engine, the tyres yeah, coming down? I mean, look at this tyre. <laughs> <laughs> it's more, more cases of, you know, I feel like I'm on my way to court every morning, you know. Yeah, that's a, that's a trouble. you still got to go to workshop. you still got mechanics coming in. You're doing technical training. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. So. But you going to the manufacturer was, it was an eye-opener. Yeah. Um, no two days were the same, which was good. Right. You know, you could – because we were technical assistants, you know, uh, if there was a customer complaints or warranty issues or um, – yeah, no no two days were the same, so it was good. Um, and then um, Honda decided to bring the uh, the road race and the motocross teams back in-house to Camelford because mm. they'd been – run externally and so they decided to to bring them back in house and so then that you know um that changed the the job as well that meant that we were doing road race and motocross support not working for the teams as such but you know supporting them you know helping them when they were doing test days or you know helping them do the maintenance on the bikes and then traveling with them to the race events and and working with them at the race events and stuff like that so that was a that was a massive eye-opener and that was that was a lot of fun too yeah yeah. for road you would have just missed the RC forty five. Yeah, missed that. Just. So, um, so Are they still Winfield Hondas? No, it was mobile. 
Yeah, right. Mobile Honda, red and white. Um, God, you've got me going. Um, you say the Mobile Supercross team too in the late yeah, 90s. Yeah. yeah, so it was Mobile Honda, red, white and blue, I think they were. Um, so CB900s, there was a, it was a really unusual time because it was like the um, – Guess we had the silly rule. Super stock racing or something as Remember well. Remember they I had the 750 capacity limit? Yeah. Or something? There was yeah. a there was a f- Yeah, so it was the the when they brought the race team back in, they were they were riding the C B nine hundreds. Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. So I ended up buying one of those, one of those oh, X, X race bikes, which was I was gonna be the next D grade champion of the world, you know. I thought I was buy this <laughs> buy this X factory race yep. bike and um um, you know, got lots of spare parts with it because it was the last year of that model as well. So yep. managed to secure lots of the parts and everything like that as well. And I thought, oh, yeah, look, you know, don't worry about these track days anymore. I won't just do track days. I'll, I'll go and take on the world and be the next, you know, as I say, D-grade champion. It didn't eventuate. Um, sold the bike, got the yep. fastest kitchen in Croydon, you know. Um, wow. <laughs> you turned, turned the fire blade into <laughs> a kitchen. <laughs> Who were the riders? Who who are we talking um, in that, that sort of era? You probably um, Honda, Honda, Honda. So Krusty uh, was the rider who was there for the most time. That so Adam Ferguson. Yep. Um, Just on Ashkenazi. Ashcan, yeah. T- towards the end of his, um, he. So let me. Because he did have the mobile Honda. Time. How how did that work? I certainly actually. When um, that must have been just as he was changing from dirt to go road riding. Ah, yeah. So he'd he'd finished up um, with the moto team and was starting to go road riding. So that was just at that time. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I managed to um, go to Winton with him and see him ride the um, ride the bike around Winton, which was like his first time on a road bike or something like the first. That record? Yeah. <laughs> Not quite the first time, maybe the second time. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I mean, you can't, you know, you see these guys and they, you know, you jump off a, uh, off a dirt bike onto a road bike yep. and, you know, okay, they might not be doing super fast times the first time, but the second time they are. Mm. It'll be the next day and it's just everything sort of falling into place overnight and they're just flying, you know. Just, yeah, if you've got that natural skill and ability that's it, it transfers over doesn't it you know yeah it so. does but yeah so um i'm trying to think of the other road riders i can't really oh um the young gobits uh they yeah, were part had, of the you would add aaron and alex yeah probably yeah they were part of the road race team i didn't do so much work with those guys yep. I, I spent probably more time helping out the the motocross guys you know yep. um brad McAlpine was was running the team he's um he works with uh, CDR still now, and um, I was yep. going to say I think, but I know that he does. Um, uh, Pip Harrison, who uh, he was also one of the lead guys in the motocross team, uh, mechanical-wise, technical-wise, who's, yep. uh, you know, and I'll say it again now, he's the best, you know, off-road suspension guy in Australia. I'd still say bar none and single-cylinder four-stroke engine guy, bar wow. none. Um and really, really, really clever guy. MA now. Uh, he's at MA now. Yeah. Uh, technical. Um, I'm not sure what they what the terminology is, but overseeing the technical side of things with MA and that. Um, the vertical wombat, I call him. You know, 
<laughs> Such a nice nickname. <laughs> Great guy. Yeah. And, and just and happy to share his knowledge, you know, like he was always yeah. happy to share. Um and was a was a great teacher as well, you know. Mm. Um, and you know, just a mate. He had, uh, you know, he had definitely had Honda wings going through his veins. Just, I reckon he left Honda three or four times and kept coming back. You know, but yeah. So there was lots, look, lots of great people that you worked with. Riders with the um, with the motocross was um, um, Troy Doran was a rider. Michael Byrne in those days. Um, Cam Taylor, um, who else did we? Uh, Shane Metcalf. Uh, so it's some, you know, best, like I was in awe, man. Best. You see these yeah. guys, you know, like all all bullshit aside, you know, I was in absolute awe. You, you, you know, I didn't know anything about motocross, and they brought the road the motocross team back in and said, "Oh, can you help out?" And yeah, no dramas. And you're going on the road with these guys, and and you're just going, "Hang on a second, what is this all about?" You know, yeah. um, super talented, super talented riders, and that was, I think, right at the time when. The professionalism was coming into the sport too. I mean, these guys were, you know, watching every ounce of fat that they were putting into their body and all this sort of stuff. And mm. you know, we're hanging, you know, we're hanging out at the end of the day <laughs> drinking beers and eating steaks and stuff like that. But the yeah, it was, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and just getting into it. So it was a, a lot of fun, a lot of good times, a lot of hard work, a lot of weekends yep. and, and stuff like that. But yeah, no, good, good, good fun, and and just learning once again, just learning, getting to be around, you know, the elite. Not just technicians, but you know the riders. Um, yeah, just learning. Good fun. How did, and we've got a beautiful jacket in here. <laughs> we've yeah. got ninety nine, so that must be closing out the Honda time. Yeah, so that would have been uh, towards the end of my time with Honda. Yeah, Donations yeah. Brazil. Donations Brazil. Yeah, yeah. So um, uh, had the uh, and, and this is the thing, you know, to to get off track a little bit, but. I'm, I've been very fortunate to, you know, hang out in the bike industry. You know, and I say hang out, you know, hang yep. out in the bike industry and meet people but get opportunities to travel. You know, I've got the opportunity to travel to the 99 Motocross Donations and, and swing spanners for these guys, you know, because we had two Honda riders in the team. Um, and, you know, hey, Ferg, what are you doing on these dates? Oh, oh nothing much. Why? Oh, yeah. Can you go and, you know? Help the guys out. Yeah, okay. No I'm going to Brazil. I'm going to Brazil, sure. No stress, you know. And so, um, you know, to go over there um, with um, – with I actually found some photos of it, which, is, you know, before digital cameras and stuff yep. like that. I found some photos of it the other day and, uh, and had a bit of a chuckle, you know. Um, you had Michael Boone with his bleached white hair and, 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 wow. and, and Dozer and um, – um, McFarlane, mm. uh, so you know, uh, and and you know, Brad McAlpine, Gary Bennett also still works with CDR, uh, and I haven't seen these guys for years, but you know, um, you know, you're working with with these guys who have been they've made it their career to be at the elite level of their sport, and and little old Fergs hanging around with them, helping out, you know, it's great, you know, and just learning from them and 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 helping out, you know, it just. Very, 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 very fortunate to to have you know, as I say, hanging out in the bike industry, yeah, and getting to experience these sorts of things. You know, did you ever take it for granted? Um, I I, I guess you do, but because it's work, you know, like you're working and you and you're mm. doing your ring. I mean, we 
my last year at Honda, um, I'd done something like 35 weekends work, including my Monday to Friday job. So, you know, you were working, supporting, you know, um, going on, you know, working with the motocross guys, working with road race guys, doing travelling around, doing technical training, you know, to get there. So, you know, so, you know, you think it's work and you think you're doing more than than your fair share, but when you stand back and then think about it uh, afterwards, you go, what a great experience mm. to have been able to be in a position to do that. So I guess in one side of things, you might take some of it for granted. You might be, oh, bloody hell, you know, yeah. I've got to go and do this, I've got to go and do that, oh, you know, I've got to drive to, you know, the race truck to Adelaide or Brisbane or whatever we've got to do, you know, and... Um, at the time, sometimes, yeah, you would because it's work. I mean, you have a lot of fun in the bike industry. You probably heard me say this, you know, um, working in the bike industry, you have a lot of fun, as you should. Yep. But it's still work. You don't get up in the morning and, you know, say goodbye to your better half. Whistling. Uh, go, hey, I'm <laughs> off to fun now. I'm still off to work, you know, I'm off to work. So, but, yep. but when you can, you know, have the pleasure of meeting the people like that and learning from these people and hey it's yeah it's work but it's good fun you know do you remember do you, like i'm not saying it's antique yeah. times too because you got to correct me on that <laughs> do you remember much of brazil yeah i do um there's been a few heineken's uh <laughs> drunk between then and now obviously but um <laughs> i do and and i i'd never traveled i'd been to scotland twice with my family as a, as a child yep but as an adult, I'd never travelled overseas. I had no interest. I, you know, I was interested in going up to a Chukar and water skiing yep. for my uh, for my holidays, or or riding motorbikes, you know, bouncing through the bush or doing track days. So, or, <laughs> or racing um, racing my mates up through the Reefton Spur and Black Spur. I had zero interest in going overseas. What I want to go overseas for Australia's the best country on the face of the planet. Overseas can come to me, right? You know. And then went to Brazil and it was just, what is this? There was something like 36 hours travel to get there. It was cattle class. It was, yeah. but it was an adventure. It was great. And um, remember, you know, in the car with the with the guys driving and they go, ah, oh, you drive it like you stole it. It's a hire car. And I'm sitting in the back going, what are you clowns doing? You know, they're jumping this thing over. <laughs> oh, seriously. Is this the mechanics? <laughs> yeah, no, this is the oh. riders. <laughs> oh, no. no, they'll deny it. It wasn't. It was nobody. I don't know who it was. Um, but uh, it's, but just the whole, you know, the experience of Brazil from, um, you know, six-lane highway, immaculately kept, grass manicured to within an inch of its life with shopping centres on the, on the bridges over the highway wow. to... The slums a kilometre further down the road, and the cardboard houses under the bridges in the city, and you know, getting to uh, Sao Paulo uh, and getting to where the track was, which was I, I think was out at like a Honda. It might have been a little. It was part of a Honda testing ground. I can't really remember, but it had something to do with the Honda factory where the track and everything was. Um, and so it's really rural, not rural. Um, industrial Brazil and staying in this motel and, you know, I wandered down, you know, I, I might have had a little bit of self-confidence back then. I thought I could take on the world. You know, I wandered down, I'm going to go for a walk. And the yeah. guy comes up to me, he goes, where are you going? I said, well, I'm going to go for a walk. 
I need to go and you know grab myself a couple of drinks or something. And he goes, you can't go for a walk here. Goes, what are you talking about? He goes, mate, you won't make it 50 metres. I go, well, what do you say? He goes, whatever you need, you give me the money, I'll go and get it for you. You, you. you cannot go for a walk here. And so it was. that was, you know, as soon as the sun went down, it was, no, that's it. You're not going outside, mate. You're a foreigner. You will not last, you know. So as a, you know, young, overly confident bullfed from, you know, southeastern suburbs of Melbourne. <laughs> <laughs> it totally blew me away. But great, a great trip. And to see all of the, you know, I won't remember their names, or, or, um, but to see all of the world's best motocross riders at that event and just the whole, the way that it, uh, the way that it worked, yeah, no, it was, I was blown away, absolutely blown away. And, you know, as I say, from just a bum-ass mechanic to to get the opportunity to go and do that sort of stuff and to see these 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 guys you know riding was was pretty spectacular yeah yeah ninety nine um, four strokes would have been coming into racing oh yeah do you remember any of that sort of stuff or because yeah, you would I have do. been on a cr cr two so the cr two fifty and one two five at the um, at donations donations and Andrew might have been was he on a I can't think. I'd need to find the photos. I can't think what he was riding yep. on the Yamaha. Um, but you're right. Yeah, it was around the time of the um, the four strokes starting to come through. Eh? Coming through. Um, Yamaha had the the four hundred. Mm. Um, Honda were a little bit late to the party, I guess. Maybe. Um, Which was strange because they were one of the ones that sort of pushed the. Yeah, the phase out of two strokes. We um, at the XR650 in the Thumpernats. So that, in Australia, there was the Thumpernats at the time, um, and Michael um, oh, Burner um, won the the championship on the XR650. And I can remember one race in particular. It was in Victoria down Traugham Way. And just just green rolling hills, and um, Chad was on on the Yamaha and and a much better bike, like a much better bike, and obviously as you know, an extremely talented uh, rider as well as 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 was Michael, obviously. Um, but I can remember them, you know, the six fifty was just hooking up, coming out of the corners, and just literally throwing house bricks at this, yeah, yeah, at Chad on on the Yamaha, and I remember him coming in at the end of it. And, you know, the other guys were riding the 650s and going well uh, also, but I um, remember um, coming in at the end of it and you're just swearing at Michael going, you have just destroyed me. And he was covered in bruises, you know, on the on the front of his arms and stuff like that. He had that chest plate on, but that was about it, you know. And this 650, it just absolutely roosted the hell out of him. And uh, it, was, it was great to watch. I mean, this bike just hooked up coming out of the corners. The guys did a great – and it wasn't a standard thing either. It was, you know, HRC'd to the – to the eyeballs, and um, and he'd done a great job. I think the advantage that he had over the other guys trying to ride that bike was he's quite tall and, and yep. obviously a strong, you know, super fit guy. But um, yeah, no, very impressive to see that. Yeah, because he's one of the fun ones at that time that was just a tr- real trainer too. Hey, oh yeah, insane. I remember him saying, I, I think from memory, he lived up at um, Toowoomba. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think you know. Um, and I remember him saying at the time, well, I mean, we used to drive in and out to Melbourne that way. 
And he'd go, yeah, well, I ride my push bike up and down here. There's another yeah, motocross family at the time, and I can't remember who, who their name. But he goes, oh, yeah, we ride our push bikes up and down this hill, up and down this range. I go, you do not. And he goes, no, no, we do. This is our training. Like, oh, my God, you know. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, very impressive. Next level. Oh, they were just, oh, yes, next level. And, and look, another, you know, thing I remember was a, a Sydney Supercross, which was the release of, and, it, and he was only doing demo laps on it. Chad Reed was doing demo laps on this Yamaha, and it might have been the 250, it might have been the first one that they, right. and this thing was out of the crate. They'd literally started up in the morning and he'd gone out and done some demo laps on this thing. And he was just wheeling the the ruts, the stutters, bang, 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 jumping it, and the front wheels hitting the same little postage stamp on every corner each time, yeah. just bang, bang, bang. And that and that was out of, literally out of the crate and him sort of, uh, you know, getting off the bike, going, oh, man, I can't wait to race these things, you know. Because it, it was the motocross and supercross was a bit different to road racing, you know. Road racing, everyone sort of kept to themselves and didn't talk to each other so much. Motocross and stuff, you know, we jump in the truck and Brad's going, oh, the Yamaha guys are going to meet us up the road at such and such servo and then the Cowie guys are going to meet us here and then we're all going to drive into town together sort of thing, you know. Oh, really? It was oh, pretty. Just, yep. They just, it was a bit more. I don't know what it's like nowadays. This is a long time ago, as yep. I say, but it was a bit more because everyone knew each other. They'd all worked with each other before and everything like that. And it's a circus, isn't it? Yeah, you just you know you rock up and all right, where are we going out for dinner tonight? You know, not all the time, but it was it would happen. And so yep. you'd sort of a new bike would come, everyone just wander over to their tent and have a look and go, well, what's what's this all about? Tell us a bit about it. You know, you know? what was the? Um, do you remember any power numbers on the six fifties back then? No, I can't. That remember. would be pretty high, I reckon. Yeah, yeah. yeah there was. Oh, look, I can't remember. I could make yeah. something up. Uh, <laughs> we'll just say we'll just say 150. <laughs> <laughs> Much like my dyno, yeah, about 150. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, the, but it, it was 60s, early 70s. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mean, you know, if you were to say no, you need to put a figure on it. Fergal would have said high 60s. Yep. Yeah, and just great bikes. And we, you know, this is going back to having a bit of fun with work. You know, Brad had built himself um, a motard version of the XR60. He rode registered. Wow. And. Um, he he lived up the hills and would come past my way. We'd sometimes carpool or we'd ride together. And so I'd be riding a road registered, knobby tired XR650, and he'd be on this motard version of the XR650, which may have had some HRC componentry in it as well. And we'd be racing each other to and from work and just, yeah. you know, mad fun, <laughs> mad fun. You wouldn't get away with it now. He'd be, You'd make the front page of the newspapers nowadays with those you sort of pepper spray and taser. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, the fun police would get you, you know. But and so look, you know, it was work. Yep. But yeah, there's plenty of fun involved. Yeah. Was Brad working for Honda? Yeah, so he worked for Honda. He worked with the. I think Gary Ben ran the Moto team. Yep. Beforehand, mm. and then when they brought it in in house, I think Gary came along, but he'd lived a million miles away, yep. and it wasn't so much for him. Uh, and then Brad stayed on to to run the team uh, with with Pippi running the team with him as well, I think. Uh, and I think the same thing happened with the road race. I think the Wolfenden's were running the the road race team, yep. and then they Honda decided for I'm not sure what the rationale was behind it. You know, bring it in house, control it more, etc., yep. etc. But I definitely, you know, I mean, there was a lot of talk around that time as well of, um, you know, oh, should there still be a race team? Should there still be a race team? But Honda were just, no, 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 there will always be a race team, which I always admired. You know, this is our history. This is what we do. The race bikes. And, yeah, you know, and 
always admired it and, and, and loved their motto of, you know, to finish first, first you must finish. You know, there's no point tuning something to a fucking standstill. Yeah. Let's go. If we don't finish the race, well, we're never going to win. So it, you know, and so, you know, really, really, really admire that side of it, you know. That's probably something you've carried with you too, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, don't, you know, you know, my dyno is a bit of a bit of a beast, you know. Um, there's no point tuning it to a standstill. You know, you can ride that thing on the road, you can ride it around the racetrack, you can ride it on the dirt, you can do whatever, you know, because it's been built to yep. to cope with that, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. To finish first, first you must finish, yeah, absolutely. Good manufacturer, eh? Oh. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, good manufacturer. And, and look, you know, um, I just last year sold my, my – I don't own it. Oh, no, I do own a Honda at the moment. I own a Honda Grom, which I <laughs> – don't laugh at me. <laughs> I enjoy riding it's, it. It suits me. So <laughs> <laughs> it's not riding ability anyway or lack yeah, thereof. Yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so I still own a Honda, I guess, you know. Um, but last year just sold my um, – uh, I had a Repsol Fireblade, which, you know, which, which I'd kept down in Melbourne to, to do track days with. But I found I wasn't riding. I'd just been riding yep. the Harleys on the track instead at the moment. So, yeah. yeah. Where'd, you, where'd you go after Honda? Well, that must have been a big thing to leave there. Yeah, I um, – so at Honda – let me – as I said, so my last year at Honda, I'd done around about 35 weekends. Um, but at that time also, my, my oldest son was born. Yep. So uh, Jacob was born in uh, in 2000. Yeah, so um, I can remember because I was watching the Olympics on TV as Kelly was giving birth. Um, but... <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> Which are you focused on? <laughs> oh, look, the swimming, that's great. You, so should, watch, you, should, you should watch this. <laughs> what are you doing over there? <laughs> September 2000, eh? That's right, yeah, yep. September 2000 he was born. Um, so that, that much travel, um, you know, young family. Yeah, it's I'd, time. I'd, I'd kind of... I never wanted to get into the sales side of things and to and to make any money in the bike industry and particularly in the wholesale side of it to get paid uh, a higher wage. You needed to get into the sales side of things. And I've, you know, I've always said I'm not a salesman. It's just not my thing. I can't yeah. do it, you know. Uh, well, I shouldn't say I can't do it. I don't enjoy it. I can do it, um, but it's not. My, I'm not naturally a salesperson. Mm. So uh, I got... Talking to uh, Peter Stevens, strangely enough, Peter Stevens Ringwood. I ended up becoming a service manager. Left Honda, became a service manager at Peter Stevens Ringwood, which at the time I think had four or five brands: Harley, Triumph, Suzuki. Um, can't remember uh, yep. the other brands, but you know, we had um, I think you know half a dozen mechanics, uh, or five mechanics, an apprentice, and a, a detailer and stuff like that. So I and and my thought process there was obviously going back to retail uh could earn a little bit more money but also was close to home close to where i was living uh and wouldn't be on the road for all of those weekends and you know could uh could spend some family time so went back to um to to retail as a service manager enjoyed it good fun learned heaps met good people again you know um had some great mechanics that worked there for us and worked there with us um some good good sales crew um 
you know, um, and a really, you know, uh, you know, the guys that own the business, so, you know, Vince uh, were great. They, you know, they, they treated us, you know, really well and would come through and say hello and, you know, all that sort of stuff. So that was, you know, to me, I thought, well, that's pretty cool, you know. Yeah. Um, but got bored of going to the same place every day after. Oh, really? Yeah, got bored of it. Got bored of it. So um, after, you know, those those five years of being with Honda and travelling so much, and as I say, it was, I wasn't just travelling with the with the race teams and stuff. I was doing technical training. So you're you're going all around Australia doing technical training yep. on the bikes and the and the outboards and the and the power equipment and stuff like that. And to then go back to the same place and you know working six days. We got worked pretty much every Saturday because. You know, it's what you did. So, yeah, yeah uh, so kind of got bored of it and um, I got the opportunity to to uh, join BMW, uh, BMW Australia Motorrad. So not the cars, the, the motorcycle yep. side of it. And so I think was, um, yeah, left, left Peter Stevens. Wow. As it turned out, you know, did the right thing. Don't burn your bridges on the way out and ended up back yep. there some... 10 or 12 years later so um but yeah so ended up going to uh, bmw australia mm. Mm. and traveling job traveling again so it was um technical assistance to start off with um worked for a gentleman who lives up here now a gentleman by the name of steve adcock who'd been with bm pretty much his whole life and there's nothing that he doesn't know about bmw motorcycles the guy's really? a, oh, a freak absolute freak <laughs> Great rider too, like very handy. Can stretch a throttle cable. <laughs> uh, looking forward to when uh, when the Pan America uh, arrives, yep. getting out and testing out the fire trails with Steve. Um, um, so uh, ended up going to to BM as uh, technical assistance. So that was you know technical assistance to the dealers, warranty, warranty approval, reports to the factory if there was you know, improvement reports yep. to the factory. And then, of course, because it's such a small team and BM was a very, very, very active um, company as far as promoting the product, yep. that meant that there was a lot of travel involved as well in in that you know, BMW safaris, road and off-road safaris. Um, they had a big Pantech at the time, big demo truck, which had all of their riding gear in it and demo bikes. Um, you know, just it meant that there was... It, it, it's... Um, I knew nothing about. I, I didn't. I shouldn't say I knew nothing about BMW motorbikes. I'd worked on them during my apprenticeship because uh, you know the, we we had them in the fleet there. Um, but once again, yeah, you know, um, didn't really. You know, you, you, they didn't see a lot of mileage, so it was a lot of maintenance and stuff. Yeah, yeah. you would have been back to a tie. BMW back to a tie. Or Back to a tie, you yes. You had to be in, wouldn't you? So interesting story. I'm yep. quite proud of this. Yep. Um, managed to get the dress code changed at Honda Australia MP. Yeah, managed to get it changed at BMW as well. Uh, so, yes, had to wear a tie at BMW. Um, yep. Their head office is in Mulgrave and they shared the office with the car and finance company. So very shiny, very large yep. head office, lots of people with lots of expensive suits and watches and, you know, uh, you know, and, and, and pens and all this sort of, you know, lots of, um, you know, lots of bling and then there's me. Uh, but so, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I, I remember 
the day I started, uh, there's BMW cars everywhere. And I had a HQ Ute at the time, HQ 253 Ute, <laughs> bright yellow. And um, I rocked up out the front, parked out the front. Oh, where do I park, boys, you know? <laughs> wow. Just round the back, Berg, you'll be fine. Um, yeah, back to a tie, but managed to get that dress code changed yep. as well. Um, that, you know, if you were, if you were um, doing hands-on work, whatever it might be, you yeah. didn't need to wear the tie. So That's good. Yeah. Did you think, going back to Alexandria... Mm-hmm. Did you think that that would be the path you'd take in your mid-30s? No, no. Look, I had no idea. None of it was planned. Just Nick. the way it's sort it of just, I didn't know anything else. Mm. I'm a mechanic. I'm a bike mechanic. I enjoy bikes. Yep. Um, my buddies are all tradies. Yep. So I wasn't hanging out with professional people as such. Um, when I say tradies, they weren't all bike mechanics or whatever, but, you know. Everything from fitter and turners to builders to sparkies, plumbers, um, you know, all successful guys now, uh, all very successful guys now, hardworking guys. You know, that was that's one of the things I guess from the crew that we had that, um, you know, we all wanted the nicer car or the nicer boat or the nicer whatever it might be, and the only way to get that stuff was to was to work for it. But yeah, I, d- I didn't, you know. Um, None of my buddies were, were guys that had gone through uni and, and studied to become professional people. So um, I had no idea where I was going to go. I mean, I'd, you know, I'd looked at other sort of fields, but, mm. yeah, didn't know. Because yeah. rocking into that office, they would have been unis or it would have been a bit of a portion oh, of everything, wouldn't there? Absolutely. At that time? There's a lot of, you know, uh, yeah, as you say, um, especially, you know, on, well, obviously in the bike side of things as well, you know, the, the bosses in the bike side of things are, you know, educated guys and, yep. and, and very smart guys because as you have to be running that sort of, you know, business. The boss of Motorrad at the time was a German. He was an expat. Yep. Uh, they used to bring the expats over to run the – oversee it. Um, Did they switch it up? Like I know some brands do. They'll have a country manager yep. and then they'll have a local – and then they switch it up. Did yeah, they Honda do that? did that. Did uh, they? BM didn't. Yeah, Honda did that. Honda had a Japanese yep, uh, director, years. and then also had uh, well, Stuart was the you know, a long-standing um, mm-hmm. managing director. But there was different Japanese guys would come in. Um, the bike side of things at Motorrad, not so much, but um, it was um, it was used as a bit of a stepping stone, I guess, for people to progress their career. You know, they yep. they might have been a, a national sales manager in in Germany as an example and then go and run a country so run a small country like Australia and then um, yeah so there was you know it was it was interesting look it really was I mean I remember the interview uh, so going to Mulgrave and I walked in and went holy hell I don't fit in here there's like there's literally there's glass and chrome everywhere there's a fountain there's you can hear the you know in the foyer you can hear the water and the (laughs) fountain all this stuff I'm looking around there's people in you know, $1,000 suits and yeah. multi-thousand-dollar suits and stuff everywhere and nice shiny shoes and then there's this buffed me standing at reception going, oh, I'm here to have a job interview, you know. <laughs> With a HQ In a HQ And yeah, dirt under my fingernails. Yeah. And um, I remember Steve, uh, who was a national uh, technical manager, um, who was interviewing me um, with a lady from HR, you know, and so the interview room was just in behind reception or one of the meeting rooms. And so we're sitting in there 
talking and you know as tonight has proven you know one of my favorite subjects to talk about is myself so <laughs> we were <laughs> we were you know we were in there for quite some time chatting and um so he goes I'll, I'll just bring in um harold was the motor ad boss at the time i'll just bring in harold he'd like to meet you i said like, okay great you know and um so Harold came in and was talking, a big six foot three German guy, shoulders as, you know, as wide as the door and, and I'm just sitting there going, oh, okay, you know, and, and I didn't really understand everything he was saying, you know, but yeah. oh, yes, yes, you know. And then um, the HR lady says, look, I'm just going to bring in uh, uh, the boss of HR to have a chat. Now this is an entry level position, right? This is, you know. Yeah. Very entry level, junior position. And I'm sitting here going, these pricks must think I'm the biggest dickhead on the face of the earth. They're bringing their friends in to check out the sideshow. You know, like they're, <laughs> they're, 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 they're literally, you know, yeah. come and check out this freak. He thinks he can come and work with us. But it was, they would, they, Steve had said to me later, he goes, no, I wanted them to sign you up and I wanted them to sign you up then. Wow. Um, so I was getting them to, to to everybody that needed to agree to come in and, and at least meet you and yeah. so anyway that obviously worked but uh, yeah. What what did BM have in their fleet at that time of bikes? Ooh, yeah, yeah, okay. Because um, you look at BM's fleet currently, and wow, it's a pretty oh yes, yeah, pretty spectacular bike. But bikes. in the early two thousands, so the number one selling bike was obviously the eleven fifty GS yep. and the eleven fifty GS Adventure, eleven uh, fifty RT they had. Mm-hmm. The sportiest bike in the fleet at that time was the R1100S. Yep. Um, so all two-valve boxes at that stage. Um, and the flat 4K 1200RS. I like so those. You, you've got the worst tasting motorcycles, Mick. <laughs> this needs to be established. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how could you possibly like them? Um, <laughs> this, this is the flat four, not the not the modern one with the inline. Uh, oh, okay, not the, the one with the the long, long fairing, the grey and the red, and that. Yeah, the terrible ABS yeah. package. Yeah, yeah, I don't mind them. They're fast. You've got issues, I believe. I like VFR 800s. <laughs> you like VFR 800s. The only Honda I can... Yeah. <laughs> That's a classic. But uh, So they had those. Um, um, oh, big bikes. 650, so. GS 650, oh, yeah. the Dakar 650. Sensational cool motorcycle. Mm. Brilliant motorcycle. Mm. Um, uh, LT, the big Tourer, the big luxury Tourer. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, so there was... You know, some some really good bikes. The GS is an amazing bike. I'd have, you know, it, over beers, hanging out with, you know, with Buffet Buddies, you'll always have the right here. You can have 10 bikes, what would yeah. be in the fleet. I would have, I would still to this day choose to have an 1150 GS Adventure, non-ABS model, hmm. <laughs> in my in my fleet. It'd Love it. Love it. Yeah, yeah. yeah great bike. Did, did millions of miles on them. Mm. Yeah, really good bike. Pretty tough bike, eh? Oh, great bike. Yeah, yeah. And then so, I mean, as you say, to, to it was a good time to be at BM because we saw, you know, going from the 1100 to the 1150 GS and GS Adventures and then to the 1200, which is the, obviously the predecessor to yep. the 1250 and that now, um, was there 
for the release of the S one thousand double R, which was is still one of my all time yep. favourite motorcycles. Um, Groundbreaking. Oh, sensational! Yep. I, you know, I, I had sports bikes at the time, um, and the marketing manager at the time, a uh, gentleman by the name of Miles, said, um, "You wait till you see this S one thousand Ferg. It is sensational. It's brilliant. It's you know." And he brought one over and did what they call ambush marketing. So it was a pre proddy one. So it wasn't we couldn't register it or anything like that from from memory. I don't think we could register it. Um, and he went and did track days at Eastern Creek and Phillip Island. So and and Miles can pedal like he's and very naturally talented uh, on on anything with two wheels. And um, he's going. He, you know, he rang me from Eastern Creek. He goes, "Man, this thing is insane." I'm passing Ducatis down the straight, and I'm going, "Yeah, but." It can't have that much horsepower, mate. It can't be that fast. He goes, I'm telling you. I go, is, are you sure? I said, it's not just you, you know, your corner speed coming onto the straight. You know, don't want to build his ego over any more than it was, you know, but, you know, can pedal. Yeah. He goes, I'm telling you it's horsepower. I'm telling you it's horsepower. And I had a fireblade at the time. And I'm going, which they weren't the highest horsepower sports bike, but I said, I, I, said, I just can't see how BM can release this bike um, and it's better than the... Honda, better than the Suzuki, better than the Kawasaki, you know, better than the Yamaha, and and your hose and Ducatis, which Ducati was, you know, the ultimate, obviously. Because I'm telling you, I'm telling you, he brought it back to back to town, and I jumped on it and took it for a ride, and just it just changed the colour of my world, you know, it was just insane. Wow. And that, you, you you mentioned before about the bikes having they're, they're so linear and stuff now. So this thing, it produced, you know, some. Didn't have the mid range of the Honda. Honda's you know known for you know yep, bottom end mid range and, yep. and but towards the top end it really started to you know gain some momentum and then the last fifteen hundred RPM before hitting the rev limit off the charts it just you know nearly threw you off the back of the bike and um, yeah. went oh okay he's onto something here they have done something so yeah that was fun times obviously to to yeah. to um, to be around uh, to be around that product yeah. Was that a was that a big talking point at the time for BM like internally? Because oh, not like not that it was, this is going to come off wrong, but yeah. it was a little bit beige. The brand the brand was a little bit at oh, it's, the prior it's to an old, old man's old man's brand. You know, you wear cardigans with leather patches on the elbows. Absolutely, you know. But since uh, that, uh, it's it's and and you know that was the perception of everything BMW really. Yeah. Uh, you know, except for when you when adventure touring riding because they are they're the one. That just you know they're market yep. leaders there at, at this point in time, um, um, but yeah, look, it was and it was we were genuinely going this better bloody work, yeah, right, because we're going to be you know it's going to be laughing stock, you know, wow, and it worked. It was you know it's a great bike, and um, as a you know hats off the when we were doing the dealer release and press release, the chief engineer of the project or, or, or I can't think of but he was here and he was an ex I think from memory an ex European A grade yep. road rider and stuff like that as well I can't think of his name which is terrible he was a really 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 nice general and and helped me out with lots of riding tips at the uh, nice. at the release down at Phillip Island is great too so um, um, but he said he goes no no this you know we brought people in from you know from other manufacturers and this was the design brief was make this, make this the one, you know. And it was. Oh, fantastic bike. And now all the models that stem from it, the S1000XR, the, you know, the, the whole yeah. range now, like you look at them and the whole thing, 
is a revived brand. It looks oh, incredible. yeah. Look, yeah. And, and, you know, um, <clears throat> it's been a, you know, clearly, you know, I mean, I haven't been with them for a long time, um, apart from a short stint back uh, to be at Retail World. But um, it, it was conscious decision yep. on, on their behalf to – I mean, you, you can't – you can't forget your core customers, and they haven't. They're, they're still the touring bikes are insane. The adventure bikes, are, you know, spectacular and will always be spectacular. Um, um, but to to come into that, you know, superbike sort of, mm. and to and to get people, you know, I mean, you know, young guys going, oh gee, I want, well, I want a BM. Who would have thought? Because mm. before then, it was genuinely it was the the cardigan with the leather patches on the elbows, you know. <laughs> And the broomstick up the backside to ride it. Hello. Hello. <laughs> With the, um, the flip top. That flip top helmet. <laughs> that's, that's what it was. I'll deny, I'll deny it, but I did have a couple of them over the journey. Oh, yeah. but <laughs> you were a factory. <laughs> factory food. But the, um, the, and they obviously still carry that through. I, I don't know if you've seen it, but they're bringing out a new S1000 next year and mm. whatever. I've been watching a few reviews lately yeah. and they still have their tech tech writer, technical engineer slash A-grade writer that does the launch videos. Yes. Talks about it technically and it's like, that's cool. Yeah. You know, you want to see, you want to be able to see that. You want yes. to see where it got developed from yeah. and stuff. I think it's cool. Oh, look, it's, um, yeah, I, I have seen it. It's um, the M1000. That's the one. Beautiful. Yeah. Um, it's a whole world of motorcycle there, isn't it? Um, and it's quite interesting that they've done that too. They've they've branded it, or it is it is an M product. So yeah. a really interesting approach. Um, um, obviously, you know the M cars are off the charts. Yep. Sensational motor vehicles. Uh, I'm not. Uh, yeah, I'm a car person, but I'm not a I'm not a car tragic or anything like that. But if anyone ever said, "Here, you know, take this M3 or." M5 or whatever it is around around uh, a lap of the block. Yes, please. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'll sure. do that. Yeah, they were lots of fun. The most bike-like performance that I've ever experienced in a car is driving those things. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Before we finish our ad for BMW, yep. which we sort of just <laughs> done, <laughs> tell me tell me a good moment on GS Safari. Oh, GS Safari. Well, tell me a bad moment. Tell me something about oh, GS Safari. G- G- GS Safaris were. A lot of fun and a lot of hard work. Mm-hmm. You know, I've had, you know, been involved in having people flown out of all sorts of places. Yep. Um, through, you know, having their ambitions and abilities a little bit confused. Um, yep. Yeah, Thanks, which Casey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah. One of my all-time favourite lines. Um, but great fun. Uh, and probably the highlight um, was Cape York. Really, GS Safari. I think from memory, 113 participants. I think you know, I might have the numbers a little bit wrong. On the big bikes, uh, on everything from 650s to um, HP2 Enduros to wow. I, I rode an 1150 Adventure yep. uh, up up there. Um, the fact that they were able to coordinate that, the guys that were running the safari at the time, and the guys that are running it now still do, from all accounts, do a great job too, but the guys that were able to coordinate that at the time. And just the camaraderie. I mean, you've got all walks of life there. You know, you've got... um, You know, all walks of life, all all, all riding abilities or lack thereof. Um, (laughs) You know, um, great, great event. And we had, you know, people... 
you know, you get people flown out of these things. That people get hurt. It's you know, their motorbikes and, and and that happens. But it's how you handle it, how you deal with that. Um, you know, the you know, fixing the bikes. You know, you're up until because I was you know technical support, so you had you know boxes and boxes of spares. You had to guess every possible spare that might be needed on these events. And so you had boxes of spares. A BM supported these. Uh, events spectacularly, you know, and um, um, boxes of spares and then you get people that had come in and crashed and, you know, this, that and the other and you're up to all hours fixing their bikes and it's just good fun though. It's good camaraderie and, um, you know, I, um, I found some photos the other day as well of that Cape York trip wow. which, you know, there's, uh, uh, you know, uh, a photo of... Uh, I'm not sure if it was all the staff that were on that event, but we got a photo of, of us standing there holding the flag at the you know at the northernmost point of uh, Australia and stuff like that. So you know the, the, the safaris were great from from that to you know riding around Tassie and being the coldest I've ever been on a motorbike. <laughs> what colder so, when we went to oh, Toowoomba? Oh mate, Toowoomba had nothing, <laughs> nothing on this. We were soaked to the bone. We'd spent oh conservatively. 14 or 15 hours on the bikes because it was that wet and that damp that people were falling off bikes everywhere. Wow. And so we were having to go back and and the guy who was driving the support vehicle, people were leaving their bikes but not leaving the keys and there's no way known he would have been able to push the bike up onto the trailer himself. And, and oh, but it was um, some, just some great experiences to, you know, I've been very fortunate, as I said before, I've been very fortunate mm. to have been able to ride bikes, uh, meet people, um, you know, um, the people that come on these safaris from the different journos to the different, you know, Jeff Ballard was doing safaris with us, you know, and I remember one night asking him, I was, I was struggling in the sand and asking him some tips and he said, and he goes, oh, let me think about it. I've never really thought about it. I'll just do it, you know, and and he thought about it and he goes, oh, I'll try this, Ferg. And you go, great. How that? I mean, you've got world's yeah. best guys that are just out there bumping shoulders with you. Um, yeah, the bikes, you know. As we said at the start, if you if you're into it, and all sorts of people from all walks of life mm. are, they're, they're happy to share their knowledge with you. You know, it's good fun. How long have you been there as a fact in the at at BM? Just under ten years. Yeah, right. Yeah, long yeah. time. Yeah, long time. So um, I was saying before that you know uh, I never thought I'd get into sales, and it was at BM was the time that I realised. Well, you know, technical. Is only going to get me so far. Um, I was fortunate enough. I ended up, you know, becoming a technical manager for Australia at BM and, and whatnot. Um, and then an opportunity came up to become a sales, a regional manager, a district manager, they call them. Different manufacturers call them different things. Mm-hmm. So I changed from technical to become you know, an area sales manager, I guess you would call it which I, you know, copped a, a fair amount of flack for because I was quite vocal about salesmen wouldn't know, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, all you do is wander around, speak shit and play golf, you know. Was um, this a people-facing job? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was actually. But it, it's, not, it's not technical sales as in yep. not selling direct retail but working with the dealer principals, mm. uh, working with the business owners. Uh, working with the sales teams and all that sort of stuff, yep. um, having to pretend to be professional, uh, <laughs> <laughs> which um, which is I must have managed to pull off. But 
Uh, so the, I sort of after about seven or eight years, I think at BM in the technical side of things, I switched over to become a, a, a district manager, um, which was more fun than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. Um, more difficult than I thought it was going to be because I just generally thought the salespeople wandered around, spoke rubbish, and went out for lunch and played golf. You know, that's yeah. And, and that's probably correct me if I'm wrong, but mm. that's a pretty common occurrence from workshop to front of house. Isn't oh, it? very much. No matter where you are. Very much. Yep. Yeah. Like, what, is that? what does that person do? Yep. There you go. You know, we're out here. We're the hub. Yeah. You know, <laughs> we're, we're, the the hub. Hard, we're the hard workers. <laughs> yeah. But and, and it is. No matter if you're in cars, earth moving equipment, whatever, that is a yeah, pretty common thing. Absolutely. I yep. And because, well, I mean, let's be totally honest. I'll probably, you know. Who are we going to get offside? <laughs> might have had a few people here, but most of them are wankers. Right. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so I should I deny saying that. Um, but, you know, um, it was, it was good because it exposed me to another side of the business. Like I, you know, from the previous role, I was already dealing with the business owners and stuff like that. Yep. But it was, I mean, at the end of the day, we're you know, manufacturers are manufacturing to sell. Yeah, they're mm. sales. But you know, Harley Davidson is a sales company. BMW is a sales company. Honda, they're they're all sales companies. Right. And so, you know, that's that's what it's all about. You know, it, it perhaps took me. 38 or 40 years to realise that, yep. you know, to, to, to get a, a future out of it, yeah, you needed to get involved in the sales side of things, I suppose. But uh, but once again, that meant that you, you're talking to the, the owners of the business and stuff like that about their forward planning and yep. and, and hmm. where they're taking their business and, and, you know, what as a manufacturer you could do to help them and et cetera, et cetera, what the expectations were from a manufacturer of them and and some, you know, some pretty interesting conversations, you know, um, but it, it exposed me to that which, being in the technical side of things before, you know, complaint, cause, correction is the technical side yep. of things, you know. The bike's got a rattle, okay, what's the cause? Here's the correction, send it on its way. Mm. It's, you know, you're keeping the product on the road but it's nothing to do with the actual planning of the business. So, so, do you yeah. see – did you see the um – and between now, you're on the other side of the fence. Now, mm. your own, your own dealer expectations. Yeah. Was it? Was that? Um, do you think that something's gone uh, more professional over the, over time, or do you think it's gone? Well, by I reckon the way it's time? gone downhill again. Um, yeah. In recent times, okay. Um, there was a time where dealer expectations, and look, as a business owner, as a you know partner in in a yep. in a uh, in a Harley Davidson dealership, I'm happy that they can. I'm happy for them to set high expectations of us as a dealer because I think yeah. we should be, you know, setting the the, the, the benchmark really high because mm. I think that you know when you're buying a premium product, you should get a good benchmark, you know, experience. It's I, I think. Some of the manufacturers have, you know, um, perhaps eased their expectations in some areas somehow. Yeah. You know, um, probably a bit, <laughs> a bit. Uh, yeah, I, it's it's. I've I've got my opinions on how and why. Um, yeah. But at the end of the day, you know, we spoke earlier about motorcycle industry nineties. Yeah. And most of the dealerships at that point in time were owned by enthusiasts. 
you know, by um, mad motorcycle tragics. People that go riding on. Case in point, you know, myself and Rob Kay, we're, yep. you know, Grant, who who we bought the business from, you know, mad motorcyclist. You know, the guy does, jumps on his bike every year, rides from Canada to wherever the in America the dealer show is and, and you know, Rob's built some of the, you know, the coolest touring Harleys around the place and I'm, you know, just a tragic, you know. Ride every day. So yeah. like, you both ride still every day. We ride, yeah, you yeah. know, and... and and so that used to be the bike industry, you know. Um, it's less and less so now. Does that mean it's got more professional? You know, some people may argue that it has. Some people may say that it hasn't, you know. Um, but it's perhaps also necessary because the cost of doing business has gone through the roof as well. And, you know, profits are tighter. Yep. Um, so, you know, it's that balancing act, you know. Because, yeah, the yeah, costs have escalated. Significantly, oh. from from that time back then yeah. to now, wow. yeah, very yeah. much. I mean, um, and customer expectation is higher. Yeah. Um, customer education, education. The most look, yeah. most guys, and yeah, we're talking about BMW customers before, but you know, mate. <laughs> so you know, we're going to offend someone. <laughs> <laughs> Probably a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, very, very well researched. They would ask you a question that they already knew the answer to, just, really to see whether, just to see whether you knew the answer. Really? Yeah. 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 You know, um, and, you know, you know, come in and say, how much does that bike weigh? And, you know, my standard response is, what, are you going to try and bench press it? What does it matter, you know? <laughs> sort of cuts uh, it pretty Which sure might, might be a fair indication as to why I was never in retail sales. <laughs> but <laughs> but it, it's... Um, yeah, it's a, it's a, it could lead to a very interesting conversation about the expectations of the manufacturers yep. now. They're high and they should be high. Mm. I think perhaps they were higher five or ten years ago. Yep. Should they be that high at the moment? Given, you know, we've been in a retail recession for even before COVID. We're in a retail yep. recession for two years and, and nobody ever said it. Nobody ever said that that was true. But we were in a retail recession for two years before COVID hit, right? Yep. Um, people were, were sitting on their sitting on their wallets. They were sitting on their wallets, or if they were spending money, they were spending money on going on cruises and international travel and holidays. Right? Yeah. They weren't buying, you know, leisure product. They weren't buying the, you know, the ski boats and the and the motorcycles and the jet skis and you know, in the numbers that they were previously. Yeah. You know, um, and so then to have the expectations of a of a dealer to be at X Y Z level when the Profit and stuff wasn't there. Yeah. Might have been a bit harsh as well. So there's lots of reasons why it's perhaps mm. changed. But um, you know, I think we're you know, biking industry. We're in a good spot at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Keep that trend. Yeah. Well, we're we're um we're nearly two hours in, mate. Mm. So this is um this is going to be a two parter because bloody hell, we, two we, hours. You haven't even talked about your your own Harley dealer shop. Yeah. yeah so how about that? Haven't, you haven't even talked about your first Harley yet. <laughs> <laughs> How about that? I mean, I um, I flat out said you'll never get me yeah. on your podcast, yeah. right? Um, because, as I say, I've got a good head for radio, and I'm not really a salesman. Um, I will Photoshop something there. But, <laughs> but when um, when we spoke about it, I thought, well, really, let's be honest. I don't mind talking about myself, and I think we've just proven that. Hey, yeah, that's uh. Yeah, literally nearly two hours. So we'll uh, we'll pause this one here. Uh, thanks everyone that's uh, stay tuned to to this point, <laughs> and uh, we'll pick it up and 
yeah, we'll talk about your first Harley you bought and when it was and... Sounds like a plan. All the other stuff. Perfect. Cool. Thanks, mate. Cheers, Mick.